Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're a show that usually tackles some pretty socially uh, liberal topics. Let's just put it that way. And uh, I think that many of our guests are... Um, psychologists and educators and people that we tend to think of as being um, pretty liberal in their their usual thinking. Not always, but we tend to generalize that way. And today we have a different take on our social justice topics. I'm talking with Dave Workman, who is with the Second Amendment Foundation, and we're going to be talking Second Amendment. Welcome, Dave. Well, thanks very much for having me. Yes, I think that some of our listeners would be surprised that we're talking about gun rights and gun owners' rights, but that's what we're going to do today. We particularly are interested in the issues of safety and, for example, around domestic violence, and we're going to be tackling that. But first of all, tell me about the Second Amendment Foundation. What what does it do? What does it stand for? And what do you do with the Second Amendment Foundation? Well, uh, the Second Amendment Foundation has been around for more than 40 years. It was founded by a man named Alan Gottlieb, who is uh, the executive vice president now. Uh, It has concentrated solely on education and litigation, and in terms of litigation, it's been pretty successful. Uh, The Second Amendment Foundation... Uh, was responsible for the 2010 U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, McDonald v. City of Chicago, that not only nullified that city's handgun ban, but it also incorporated the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to the states via the 14th Amendment. Uh, If your listeners uh, do a little bit of homework, they'll find that I think it's 40 states, maybe it's 42 states, uh, have specific state constitutional right to keep and bear arms provisions in their state constitution. Washington State has one, uh, Oregon, Idaho. Uh, you'll find that uh, they've got uh, pretty solid uh, provisions in those constitutions to protect the individual citizens' right to uh, have a firearm. Uh, ours was adopted in uh, November of 1889, when Washington achieved statehood, and uh, apparently it was so successful that uh, the state of Arizona, uh, when it became a state in 1912, adopted our provision word for word in their state constitution. Wow! Did they did they pay us for that? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I never saw any money, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I know that we're both we're we're both mature, shall we say? But I don't think you were around in that at that era, were you? <laughs> well, I I don't know. Some people accuse me of being around that long, but no, I uh, yeah, I came along a little bit later. <laughs> I always say I'm older than dirt now. That's just, that's just how old I am now. Older than dirt. <laughs> well, I, I get um, to, I get to tell people that I've got a pair of boots that's older than they are. So, and usually that sticks. <laughs> Well, my father-in-law always used to say, "But I'm so old that I don't. I I no longer buy green bananas." <laughs> Smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So now that we've established our creds as being old parts, let's move on and and finish talking about the the Second Amendment. What you're describing is stuff that happened years ago. And I think the general opinion of most people, well, you and I, although our show is worldwide, we, you and I happen to live in an area that is considered to be particularly liberal. Um, and along with that liberal, and I'm, I know I'm going to be getting emails here, and that's okay. You can take me to task for this. But typically the liberals are the ones that are saying, oh, it's not good to have a gun. You can't have a gun. No, no, bad. Guns are always bad. And in Washington State, we have some litigation going on right now um, that the Second Amendment Foundation is uh, working on. And it's in an area where we have this really strong 
prejudice against guns, all guns, any gun. Am I characterizing that correctly, or am I just wildly generalizing? Well, a little bit of both. Um, I know some. <laughs> well, I'm a newsman. See, you know, whatever else I do, I'm a journalist, and I've even got a, a diploma from the University of Washington that says I graduated from the School of Communications. Uh, that said, um, you graduated from a Wussy School of Communications because I graduated from Kent State University with a journalism degree. So do I have a journalism degree. Same you thing. You said it was a degree in communication. Well, it's a journalism degree. School of Communications is the journalism. So let's not mince words, uh, and, and you know we'll we'll knock off the debate and, and you know. Uh, <laughs> The uh, the thing that I think needs to be put in perspective is that I know a lot of liberals who have guns, and uh, they're they're fairly zealous about it. Although uh, there are occasions when some of those folks think that, well, I've got my gun, but maybe Joe over there shouldn't have one. Um, <laughs> Because Joe is not as good as I am. <laughs> well, yeah, something like that. You know, we're going back to Animal Farm, but uh, remember, when you get right down to cases, we're talking about a constitutionally enumerated fundamental right. Uh, now, that's not me talking. It's not the Second Amendment Foundation talking. That's the U.S. Supreme Court talking, and uh, there's a lot of history behind that. Uh, I think if you look at the state constitutions, you'll get even a better understanding why this is a an individual right protecting every citizen's right to be able to defend themselves. Uh, a lot of people think that the Second Amendment may be passe, it may, may be an anachronism, but I think it's just as important today as it was 237 years ago. Uh, when it was ratified as part of the Bill of Rights, it's just as important as, say, the First Amendment uh, or the Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth, Ninth, and Tenth Amendments that are all part of the Bill of Rights. And uh, it has been treated, I think, as a second-class right for far too long. Uh, the Supreme Court in the last decade has only decided two cases, both of them affirmative, uh, protecting the the Second Amendment as as an individual right. So that we need to keep in perspective. Uh, the lawsuit that you're alluding to is a challenge by the Second Amendment Foundation and the National Rifle Association of Initiative 1639, which was adopted by voters in November 2018. That initiative essentially stripped Second Amendment rights away from young adults in Washington State, uh, those 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, uh, says they can't buy any kind of a semi-automatic rifle. They can still join the military where we issue them a fully automatic rifle. Uh, if, if they're in the infantry, we uh, allow 18-year-old and 19- and 20-year-olds to, to get married, to enter into contracts, to vote. Uh, to do all of that stuff, uh, which they're considered, I guess, mature enough to do, but they're not mature enough to handle a firearm, or at least buy a semi-automatic firearm, uh, which I think is a, a gross injustice to those young people. Uh, I bought my first gun in Washington State uh, when I was 19, and it wasn't a semi-automatic, but I still purchased the firearm, and I don't think anything really has changed that much in, in all those years, uh, I had a right to do it, and uh, the young people today have the same rights. We can't be picky about which rights we allow somebody to enjoy. You either have them or you don't. So that, that case is in uh, U.S. District Court. Uh, just a few days ago, uh, the judge in that case uh, allowed the the, uh, the uh, case to move forward, it had been challenged by the defendants uh, on, the, on the grounds that uh, the plaintiffs didn't have standing. Well, the plaintiffs do have standing. Uh, all the plaintiffs, the, the, uh, in addition to NRA and SAF, 
There are two firearms retailers uh, as plaintiffs in that case, one in Spokane and one in Vancouver, and four young adults, uh, two of whom that I know uh, tried to purchase firearms and were uh, turned away because they were under age 21. So that makes them injured parties, and then certainly that gives them standing in the case. So this case, in, uh, the initiative 1639 you referred to, made it legal in this state for you to purchase any of these constitutionally um, legal or any uh, legal firearms if you're not 21. Is that right? Well, uh, what it prohibits is the purchase of any semi-automatic rifle in the state of Washington by anybody in that age group. And uh, I think... What's more important, or uh, certainly equally important, is language in the initiative classified literally every semi-automatic rifle that's ever been manufactured as a semi-automatic assault rifle. That includes uh, small game rifles, you know, 22 caliber rifles that, that kids use to, to learn how to shoot, that uh, they've been you know, used in competition. Uh, I, I own one that I use to hunt small game with, uh, and I, I do a lot of recreational shooting with that rifle. Um, so what you've got is, is a situation of, I think, extreme overkill, and unfortunately, uh, the voters bought into that, thinking that, gee whiz, this is going to uh, result in a reduction of crime. It's going to prevent crime. If you look at the FBI uniform crime reports uh, for Washington State, historically, uh, rifles of any kind have been used in a fraction of the homicides in this state, as well as nationally. Uh, anywhere from 2 to 4% of all the homicides in any given year uh, are committed with rifles of any kind. And that includes bolt action, lever action, semi-automatic, single shots. Uh, so it really doesn't make sense to me as a journalist who writes about this stuff to go after a type of firearm that is used in a, uh, a very small number of crimes in this country. But that's what we do, don't we? We go after the minority. We make the rules for the minorities. We make the prohibitions based on what the minorities do. I mean, that's what we have a long history of doing in this country. Why Why should it be different for um, weapons? Well, shame on us, I guess, as a nation. Uh, you know, we're a republic. We're not a democracy, and a republic is designed to protect the rights of the minority against the uh, uh, tyranny of the majority, or vice versa, protect the rights of the majority against the tyranny of a loud minority. So uh, it, it it shouldn't work that way. Unfortunately, it has over uh, the course of years. You know, you pick any given subject. I guess you'll find somebody who has a grievance, and uh, a lot of times those those grievances are valid, uh, especially when it comes to the regulating a a constitutionally protected right. You know, this isn't a privilege, it is a right, and if anybody doesn't understand the difference, they really need to sit down and, and go back through their high school uh, civics books and, and understand a little bit more about what rights are and what privileges are. Well, I think you that's the crux of the problem, isn't it? Two things from what you've been saying. One is, I think when we hear the words semi-automatic, People who don't know firearms, people who don't know how weapons are made, automatically assume that you're talking some sort of Rambo something or other um, with semi-automatic. But as you pointed out, there are everyday target shooting and uh, small game you know, um, uh, weapons that are considered semi-automatic as opposed to fully well, automatic, right? Well, yeah, and I think... Part of this uh, is the fault of Hollywood, and another part of it is the fault of uh, the mainstream press. You know, my colleagues in the media uh, are all too often pretty much gun stupid. They they really don't understand what they're they're reporting about, talking about. Uh, I occasionally get phone calls over here from 
colleagues of mine from you know all, all over the country asking me questions about hey uh, Dave you know this is your beat uh, tell me about this and and I will it's it, I consider that just a a professional courtesy and uh, hopefully it it helps them write a better story that's that's got more credibility to it but uh if you look at uh some of the entertainment that we've had over the years and and some of the uh, the misidentification of firearm types, uh, people confuse semi-automatics with full-auto uh, machine guns. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot I can do as an individual. I write about that stuff. But, you know, I'm up against maybe years, if not decades, of misinformation out there. You know, people who just don't understand the difference. And, you know, the, uh, the, what they're talking about mainly are AR-15s that have never been used in combat that I know of. Uh, they're the civilian version of an M16 or, or now the uh, the M4-type uh, firearms that you see in the military today. Uh, the AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle. I know people that hunt with them. Uh, there's a lot of competition that goes on uh, involving AR-15s because they were the uh, the civilian knockoff of the of the service rifle that a lot of the guys from say even the Vietnam era forward uh, learned to shoot with, and they grew up with these guns and they like them. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. I don't own one, but uh, I've shot a lot of them, and uh, some of them are remarkably accurate. I know people who shoot coyotes with them and and use them to uh, uh, contend with predators on their on their farm and ranch lands uh, in eastern Washington and even farther east into Montana. Uh, guys shoot prairie dogs with them. Uh, they they even have something called zombie matches, which I think is it's an offshoot of, of a bunch of TV shows that uh, have The Walking Dead and all of that. And, and you know they have targets that. that I guess if you if you shoot a zombie, you, you get a certain score or something. I don't know how that works, but apparently it's a lot of fun and it attracts a lot of people. So, uh, you know, there's there's really nothing wrong or or different uh, with the people who between the people who own AR-15s and, and somebody who uh, likes to shoot skeet or trap or or uh, hunts with a semi-auto shotgun, just like Grandpa did. They all work pretty much the same and. Uh, if if somebody has a house full of them, I don't care. It's none of my business. You know, if he's if he's a responsible gun owner and he's not committing crimes with them, uh, who cares? I certainly don't. Well, but I think there are a lot of people who do care because they associate gun ownership with massive school shootings or massive uh, uh, crimes. I, I found it interesting that I was just reading some headlines um, yesterday or the day before and there were 12 uh, schoolgirls that were uh, seriously injured and two that were killed, and the bus driver was killed, in Tokyo because some mad guy went on a rampage with a knife. Yeah, and, yet, and I, you know, that, that's, I, it's I an interesting... Arguing to, you know, let's control knives. Let's make sure the only people who have knives are uh, are are people who we've screened and we know are are normal. And you you know, I mean, I, I never hear that. Um, well, people seem to there, there's you know there's a problem with that too because uh, you never hear that called knife violence. Uh, <laughs> and you're right, people people don't seem to associate that with uh, the same degree of angst as they do firearms. Uh, and really, uh, at the risk of sounding a little too blasé, you know, you're just as dead as if you've been murdered with a knife as you are if you've been murdered with a firearm. Uh, and that comes from a guy uh, early in my career. I went to several homicides and and suicides, and uh, when I was the editor of a weekly newspaper, and it, it, they were they were all tragic, but I didn't see much difference between the way they were investigated. The police would be there, the medical examiner would show up, um, and and those people all died. Uh, and you know that was that's the unfortunate 
part of all of this is, is that somebody, some innocent person, uh, could be killed either with a knife or a gun or or uh, blunt instruments. If you look at, again, the FBI Uniform Crime Reports, you'll find that in any given year, more people are fatally stabbed or slashed to death than are killed with either rifles or shotguns of any given type. Uh, you find typically more people who are murdered with feast, uh, fists, feet, or uh, by strangulation hands uh, than are killed with rifles or shotguns. And, uh, you know, blunt instruments are also uh, responsible for more homicides than rifles or shotguns. Uh, and, and that's the FBI talking, not me. You know, I, I don't make up those figures. They, they report them every year, usually uh, in late September. So are we saying, are you saying that um, guns are unfairly um, uh, ferreted out or unfairly maligned for public damage, for, for da- damage against human beings? Well, I think that uh, people get the impression that guns are the problem, where the problem really is with the person who uses the weapon, no matter what weapon it is. We demonize the the tool and not the fool, uh, the the person who uses it to commit mayhem. You know, th- I think that's something that we as a society are probably going to have to deal with a, a little more firmly than maybe we have. Uh, you know, we've got to have certainty of punishment. We can't uh, just arrest people and take guns away from them and then kick them loose uh, after they've done six months or uh, get a suspended sentence. There was a, a, a report uh, just the other day, and I wrote about this, uh, out of Wenatchee uh, early in, in May or in late April, uh, a guy was arrested over there, a 13-time convicted felon. This guy had shot himself uh, in the privates with a with a gun that he shouldn't have had. Uh, when he got to the hospital, uh, he dropped a, a balloon full of marijuana. The investigating officers found that he had uh, some methamphetamines in his car, uh, they issued a warrant for his arrest. He turned himself in. When they stripped him and searched him in the jail, he he had some marijuana again in a balloon. And he, this guy should not have had a firearm, and yet he did. Well, if somebody's committed 13 felonies, I don't care what kind of felonies they are, but that, that level, that number of felonies, you ought to be in jail for a long, long time, not running around out there someplace with a gun that you shouldn't have had. Um, So I'm not really sure where we want to go with this, except that we need to get a little more harsh with the people who who break the law and just leave the law-abiding citizens alone. Let's talk about domestic violence situations, because domestic violence is, is a pretty risky thing for a woman. And I am saying women, you know, I'll, I'll get all these men who come in and talk about, yeah, but men happen to it. Yes, it does. It does happen to men. But the overwhelming majority of domestic violence in this country is male on female. And so let's talk about those, those situations. If they're uh, arrested for domestic violence, their weapons are Excuse me? Like that, right? if I, I beg your pardon? If somebody is arrested for domestic violence the police take away their weapons do they not or does that yeah uh there there are uh laws at both the state and federal levels uh, regarding domestic violence offenders uh you know under federal law if you've been convicted of uh domestic violence you can't have a firearm uh or actually even ammunition and of course there are state laws that that um uh, go right along with that. They follow along the same the same principle. Um, that is a given, and and I think there's a problem uh, with the way people might misunderstand 
sometimes what happens in in any kind of arrest situation where you know the police respond under certain laws they're supposed to arrest somebody take them away they're supposed to take the guns away uh if the individual gets back out and the victim has been essentially disarmed too how is she going to protect herself uh and I, you know we've seen this sort of thing happen in the past uh where uh, somebody is arrested they're they're uh, taken away for you know 72 hours or, or however long it is and then they are released um a, a piece of paper isn't going to really prevent them from from going back and and maybe getting revenge or something and uh, you know you could you could have a long conversation with people in in uh, police department domestic violent units about that uh uh, because this is not anything new. Um, if if you're going to arrest somebody and charge them with a crime, um, especially a, a violent crime, I'm not too sure that uh, the the public good is is going to be benefiting from the fact that they get released, uh, you know, on personal recognizance or, or however that works. Depending on what stage you're in, you know you, you've got to pay attention to that sort of thing. Um, again, we have to recognize that a person in the in the United States uh, under our justice system is presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not an attorney. Uh, I'm certainly not a prosecutor or a, or a defense attorney. And there's a, I think a, a very real and sensitive balancing act that goes along there. Uh, so, you know, you know, you know we, we have to pay attention to everybody's rights, which sometimes that's good or bad, I don't know, but uh, I, I leave that to somebody else to determine. I just write about this stuff, and, and uh, I, you know, I've seen some of the results of this on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, uh, I mean, for every statement that you're making about it, it's not, you know, the guns that harm people, it's the, the fools that harm people, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we've heard these arguments before, and yet there's still, a, you know, every time there's some notorious situation where somebody kills somebody with a gun, we we just get inundated with information about how evil guns are and how we have to get rid of them. Why? Why? Well, you know, I, I understand that I'm asking a question that probably has a much deeper uh, answer than than what we're talking about right here. But why? Why are we so convinced? I mean, if some if my neighbor gets in a car wreck and his family dies or a member of his family dies, I don't see anybody talking about let's get rid of all the cars. Well, yeah, I think you just cracked a code there. Uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist either. And I did poorly in psychology in in college. Um, I, I found that I could write better than than I could analyze somebody. But uh, seriously, I I think you know we're going back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, we've got this public perception that has uh, I think evolved over time uh, that guns have been demonized. Uh, by people who don't like firearms, by the media that doesn't understand firearms, uh, by politicians who really don't care for the idea of, of answering or, or being held responsible for violating the rights of a lot of their constituents. Um, and if I had the time, which I which I don't, I don't think any of us do. You know, we we could sit down and maybe analyze why this is happening. You know, there there are no easy answers to this, and I've been around long enough to to get that much at least. There are no easy answers to uh, preventing any kind of violent crime, whether it's domestic violence or robbing banks or or shooting up a, a school. There, there really aren't any easy answers, and uh, for somebody to suggest that the panacea is one more gun law, uh, that's that's just delusional. Not only on the part of the person uh, making the proposal, but on the people who believe that. 
because it's just not going to work. You're, you're not going to be able to prevent every crime. And the downside of trying to is that you, you punish a lot of people who never would have committed a crime in the first place. And again, you're eroding what is a, a protected right as opposed to regulating a, a privilege. And we've got to be very, very careful about protecting people's rights because, uh, say, for, for instance, we reached a point in history where the government said, hey, you know, we're going to erase the Second Amendment. There is really nothing stopping the government from coming after the First Amendment, and trust me, they would, because uh, I think we've seen in the past that uh, not just guns, but a free press is a threat to a, uh, a, a tyrannical government of any kind. And, uh, you know, I, I think history has shown us that when uh, we have government overthrows in other countries, the first thing they do is is they rush to control the press. And if you happen to be a member of, of the press that's saying something that that new government doesn't like, you're in a lot of trouble. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think you've touched on something else here, too, because I think that um, you're familiar with the, the phrase citizen journalist. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of citizen lot of people, journalists. Well, a lot of people may not be familiar with that. And when I was trained as a journalist, um, there were ethics. I mean, ethics and there was accountability and you didn't publish a story that, especially one that was controversial, unless you had at least a couple of uh, confirmations, a couple of different sources saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. With the advent of uh, media and cell phones, uh, you know, um, uh, the current media and cell phones, etc., anyone with a cell phone can be a journalist. They can take a picture, they can post it online, it gets millions, and bi- if not billions, of, of um, uh, views, and people absorb that information as if it had the same verifiable and uh, you know um, sources as as the New York Times. And it well, I, I think you you no, you're right. I, I think you've touched on something that uh, because of the evolution of communications in this country, uh, we. We need to be more cognizant of the fact that just because you read something on the internet doesn't make it the truth. Um, yeah. There are there are some uh, online publications that print stuff every day. They they pull out publish stuff every day, not print, but publish stuff every day. That I I never use them as a source for any kind of information. I, I just won't, because they've demonstrated in the past how unreliable uh, they are and inaccurate they are. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to name names, but uh, if you, you read my stuff, I provide links uh, online stuff that I publish, and those links go to uh, reputable and uh, uh, reliable sources. Uh, you know, I, I would quote the New York Times because, uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, you know, it's still a reputable newspaper. I mean, it, it is a, a well-established source. Uh, but somebody's blog, and I see this way too often, that, that you can read something online that all they quote is somebody else's blog that has quoted somebody else's blog, and it becomes just a lot of hearsay. Um, back when I got out of J school and had my first job as a weekly newspaper editor, uh, I established for myself a two-source rule. If if, if I had something, uh, especially something that might be uh, explosive in, in its uh, nature, I'd always get confirmation from a second source, an independent source. And you've got to do that uh, if you're going to have any credibility at all. And, you know, we live in such a litigious society that you've got to take that extra care or you risk being sued. Um, 
I've had to correct a couple of things in print over the years, and, and you know, I'm not sorry that I had to do that because it, it helps clear the air. Uh, it certainly, uh, I think, reinforces the notion that I try to be accurate, and I've seen other reporters do the same thing, and good for them. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, anybody in journalism, all we've got going for us is credibility. And if we lose that credibility, it's very difficult and sometimes impossible to regain that, to, to regain the trust of our readers and in broadcast journalism to regain the trust of our listeners. Uh, so we we got to be really careful about that, and I think most reporters uh, are really careful. They they care about what they they write or report. Uh, at least I'd like to think so. I know some uh, really damn good reporters that I don't agree with anything. Uh, you know, on in terms of uh, whatever we're talking about beyond the weather, maybe. But uh, you know, politically, we we don't see eye to eye on anything. But I know that they are uh, very um, meticulous about trying to be accurate, and that's really what counts in this business. Well, what I was getting to kind of roundabout here is that with the uh, how inundated the public is, all of us are, with information, whether it's accurate, whether it's been verified, we are just inundated with information. I don't think I know I'm trying to, to, to say this gently. I don't know a huge number of people who see the difference. If they read it on the Internet, it is gospel. It is just as true as anything else. What I'm thinking of about the issues about gun control is we are in a society that is getting inundated with information that may or may not be accurate, and we are jumping to make rules, laws, et cetera, about, based on that information. And I'm wondering if that's what we're doing with gun laws. We're jumping on some sort of bandwagon, whether it's legitimate or not. And, and once we get the idea from all this input that guns are bad, guns are horrible, then nobody can see a good reason to have, have a gun. And I think your issue, the constitutional right, which is so significant, I think there are not a lot of lay people out there who really care. I had a professor once who said, we're all willing to give up rights that we're not using. And I think I see that in the issue of gun control and gun laws. We get inaccurate information or partial information. It inflames us. You know, I mean, do we really think that there will never again be a school massacre if we somehow can remove all the guns from, you know, uh, make enough laws to remove guns from, you know, because, I mean, it is true that the people who are going to break the law are going to break the law, whether it's about the speed limit or about a gun. Um, so we're, we're making these laws and these rules, and, and I'm not so naive as to say we shouldn't have any of those. Of course we should. Um, but, I mean, I don't want my neighbor to have a tank and a flamethrower next door. I really don't. Um, but I think that we are basing all of this panic and all of this terror and all of this zeal to restrict guns based on inaccurate, partial, and incomplete information with no consideration of the fact that, wait a minute, as you pointed out, this isn't a privilege. Our country was started with a set of rules, and that set of rules says, boom, the second of the Ten Amendments says we get to have a right to bear arms. So am I just full of hot air here, or do you see merit in what I'm saying? And when you answer that, then I'm going to ask you what we can do about it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I see a lot of merit in what you're saying. Uh, In fact, I'll tell you what. You're probably going to get some emails from people who will claim, hey, you've been listening to that crazy guy Workman too much. We don't like you anymore. Um, uh, But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, I think that we have reached a point where uh, too many people do act on uh, just partial information or completely spurious information, just specious stuff, just stuff that 
makes no sense at all that that uh, they just seem to agree with it because hey it sounds good and, and I've always believed that so this must be right um, as far as that being a, a recent thing I don't know you'd, you'd have to probably contact somebody that listened to Orson Welles's War of the World to see what kind of a panic that caused back in the 1930s you know my god people were actually believing that we'd been invaded by green people from Mars it was just uh, and it set off a lot of alarms with a lot of people and I'm not saying that people are gullible uh, but they may be a little too easy to, uh, and this is a, kind of a pun, but uh, to jump jump the gun on, on some of this stuff. Um, as far as owning a tank or a flamethrower, you know, Paul Allen, the late Paul Allen, who helped finance Initiative 1639, I, it's my understanding that he actually owned a tank. He, he bought a, a surplus <laughs> tank. Uh, and... Uh, I think it was a German tank. I, I saw that widely reported here a few years ago. Um, I know people who who own machine guns. I, I, I've known people who own machine guns. They've never committed a crime with any of them. They don't live in Washington State, uh, where where we live, but um, they have annual competitions with these things. They they can afford ammunition more than I can, evidently, because they burn up a lot of it. But uh, they get together to have good times, and, and people collect these things. Uh, they do it harmlessly, uh, except for the noise, maybe. But I, I understand why a lot of people who never grew up around guns, who their own their only experience with guns has either been uh, seeing crime victims or crime in their neighborhoods or watching movies uh, and it scares them. Uh, they're afraid of evil black looking guns like the AR-15 but uh, they're they're less afraid of somebody walking around with a with a, a, a higher powered bolt action rifle that they used to hunt elk or deer with. Uh, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to to that thinking but uh, I think they they have a a perception problem more than anything that that uh, there's there's a, more than a hundred billion people in this country uh, by some estimates who own firearms and I think uh, privately uh, firearms ownership uh, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 300 million to 500 million guns. You're not going to ban those things. You're never going to get rid of them. Uh, this utopian idea that if we just get rid of all the guns, we're all going to be able to sit around and and sing uh, guitar songs and, and hug each other into a better feeling. And uh, That's a nice fantasy world, but I happen to live in the real one. And even today, uh, as I said earlier, I think the Second Amendment is just as important as it was when it was ratified as part of the Constitution back in the 1780s. Uh, we still have uh, maybe not marauding bands of, of wild savages or, or outlaws uh, robbing stagecoaches, but uh, we do have home invasion robberies. We've got uh, people who try to mug other people, uh, people who try to to commit rape, uh, kidnap children. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons, legitimate reasons, for somebody to have a firearm for personal protection in this country. And we need to be very protective uh, of that right because the oldest human right, I'm not talking about civil rights, the oldest human right is the right of self-preservation. And there are times when, if if you need to defend your life with lethal force, you better have the tools there to do it. Well, I want to go, jump back a little bit to the domestic violence situation because that's a situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I work in the, the domestic violence field, and that's where I want to mm-hmm. 
And I'm not so sure. I, I understand what you're saying about, well, if the guns are confiscated in a DV situation, you know, then he gets out of jail and he goes back and now she doesn't have a gun. I'm not sure I buy that because I've seen a lot of studies that show that women are reluctant to use guns um, more so than men are anyway. Um, and, you know, so I'm, eh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to poo-poo you, but I'm thinking, eh, I'm not sure I really buy into that one. But the fact well, see, the, the, there you go with the perception. See, you you have a a conclusion, or you've reached a conclusion that maybe I said something you disagree with. Well, you know, we live in the United States. You can disagree with me all you want to. There are probably other studies, and certainly there there are, are some case histories that uh, they may be anecdotal in nature. But uh, I fall back on something that. Uh, the the gun control crowd likes to repeat all the time. If it saves just one life, then it's worth it. Well, if it saved just one life, to to have a, a firearm in the hands of a uh, somebody who's been a victim of domestic violence or could be a victim of domestic violence, if it saves her life, uh, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not saying it's a bad idea, and I'm not saying that you're not accurate. I'm saying I'm not sure I I, I am fully uh, behind you and supportive of that statement, in my opinion. Um, but it remains a huge issue when truly abusive people, dangerous people, have firearms. And I think that the, what you were referring to as the gun control crowd thinks that if we – can eliminate weaponry in general, if we can eliminate guns in general, I don't think they really care about all weapons, just guns, um, that somehow or other that will take care of the problem. I don't think so. I mean, I would imagine that there are plenty of uh, people who have been, you know, hit with rocks or frying pans and, you know, grant you you're not going to wipe out as many people with a knife or a firing pan as you will with, a, you know, some sort of Uzi. Um, so that is a legitimate argument, but the fact remains that these mass shootings are really few and far between. Well, they really are, yeah. 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 I, and, I, you know, and it, that, that's hard for somebody, you know, who well, might have been a school shooting. Well, you know, one, one, I, I tell you, one journalist talking to another, mass shootings or mass stabbings, for uh, that matter, and I've, I've read about instances that have happened over in China where, you know, 47 people get stabbed to death until they get a bad guy. Um, That stuff happens to be news, and the definition of news is is really includes stuff that doesn't happen every 10 minutes. It's news because it's A, sensational, B, it's it's unusual, and it does have a, a lot of public interest. It grabs the public's attention. And and something like a, a mass shooting or uh, a, a, a bombing of some sort that costs uh, a, a lot of life or, or creates a lot of mayhem, that is news. And, and people will always be interested. In, it doesn't mean that we all need to be afraid of that that it's going to happen next week or, or tomorrow on, on in your neighborhood, uh, I, I guess that's what makes it news. But uh, it does mean that we, we pay attention to this sort of thing. Uh, we try to, at the end of the day, try to do the right thing by everybody. Uh, but still, there's a sensational aspect to that kind of a story and uh, you know, I learned way back in J school that sensationalism sells a lot more than Joe's bake sale on on Saturday. You know, that's a, that's worth maybe a paragraph or two in a in a weekly newspaper. But uh, you know, a mass shooting or a mass stabbing or or a plane crash, anything that is uh, going to grab the public's attention, that's news. And I guess that's why. You always see that uh, on the front page above the fold, and it's always the lead story at the 6 o'clock news. I used to tell my children, they call it news, they don't call it every day, you know, or ordinary. <laughs> yeah. They call it news because there's something different and unusual about it. And I think yeah. you're right, and I think that because going back to my, my silly little premise about how we're inundated with um, 
information that may or may not be accurate. I, I think it's the same thing with the news. We're inundated with this news. We think it happens all the time. I, I, I'm a big one on the studies. And, you know, one of the studies that really opened my eyes was they did a, a study with uh, New York Times, which we recognize as being pretty, pretty uh, reasonable and accurate. And they had to, the controlled group um, read the New York Times. The other group read the exact same stories, but they did it online. They read the exact same words, but it was online. And then they gave them each questionnaires to fill out about how reliable do they think what they read was. And the people, the group that read it online overwhelmingly thought it was more reliable than the people who read it in the newspaper. And I well, what did that, that tell you? That tells me that we're gullible and that we will absorb this information a lot more readily than, than – we're not skeptical enough. We're not skeptical enough. I mean, if we read, if 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 you know, we we open our our uh, um, Facebook thing and we go to the news or somebody posted something, then by golly, we believe it 100 percent. You know, we just do, and it's not necessarily so. And I think that um, you know the gun control issue is particularly vulnerable to that phenomenon. So that's me. And yet somehow, even with all that lofty thinking, Dave, I am just. Poor as a church mom. Go figure. Um, <laughs> how can that possibly be? <laughs> but, well, when you figure it out, you tell me so we'll both know. Okay, okay. But, um, I, you know, I, when I initially contacted you, I said, you know, I want to have a, just a reasonable discussion. I don't want to vilify. I don't want to make assumptions. I don't want to, you know, do all of that stuff that's normally done with this issue. And I well, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> well, other than my personal uh, jumping to conclusions and my personal assumption, I think we did pretty well. What do you think? Um, well, yeah, it, it's been an enjoyable way to to burn up a little uh, time in an afternoon. So, <laughs> oh no, but boy, boy, burn me with faint praise there. You know, well, it was better than you know uh, cleaning out the refrigerator. I guess I don't know. Well, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump into that one because. Bang! I'll wind up having to do that, you know. <laughs> so, well, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of time for is, what's the solution to this? Is the, is this a problem where we need a solution? I, I think you and I can both agree that it is. I mean, we're look at our Washington State initiative, you know, where they're, you know, there's a problem here regarding. Yeah, the perception of guns and 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 what they can do, but also regarding what we as a society should be doing about it. Well, you used a word just a minute ago that I think is part of the solution, and the word is skepticism. Uh, I was a skeptic. I mean, it kind of goes with the territory. When you're a journalist, you got to ask questions. Sometimes you're going to get answers that you really think are just bogus, but you got to ask those questions anyway, and I think the 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 public uh, that votes just blindly for gun control uh, they they're not skeptical enough about you know the motives behind some of these issues and and maybe they don't ask the questions they just you know reflexively vote because I don't like guns, and I think the same might go. Uh, with somebody at the at the other end of the spectrum too, uh, uh, I'm not really keen on the idea of like you said, everybody owning a tank or a flamethrower. Although people own them, they haven't hurt anybody. Uh, and as I said earlier, if if I found a guy, one of my neighbors, uh, if he had a house full of guns, I wouldn't care if he was responsible for them uh, and, and responsible with them. But we've got to be skeptical about what uh, the gun control people uh, are advocating and, and what they think we're going to accomplish with some of these things. And I've, I've seen that, uh, in, in my experience anyway, gun control, uh, the extreme gun control laws haven't accomplished anything unless the idea is to penalize law-abiding citizens. Uh, if you look at the number of homicides that, that occur every year and even the number of, of shootings, non-fatal shootings that occur every year, that really represents a, a fraction 
of the of the gun owners out there and the guns that they own. Uh, and again, that's not me talking, that's the FBI data. Um, so the solution, uh, you know, it, once I crack that code, I'll share it with the world because I don't know what the solution really is. I, I've lived long enough to, to realize that my idea uh, about how to deal with problems may not be shared by somebody living in another town or at the other end of a telephone, uh, my ideas may be, they work for me in, in in my perspective, but they won't work for somebody else. And there's there's always going to be somebody who disagrees, who, who says, no, I, you know, i got a better idea, well, let's try this. Uh, and, I, and I'm willing to listen to that sort of thing uh, up to the point that it starts infringing on the rights of, of law-abiding citizens. Uh, I would never in, uh, just endorse the idea of turning a microphone off for somebody because I didn't like him because I think he's nuts. You know, I'll let him prove that to the world just by letting him talk. Uh, I wouldn't uh, stand by for a heartbeat and allow somebody uh, to be prohibited from writing his or her opinion in print, uh, you know, for everybody to see. And we've all got ideas. Some of them are a little kooky sometimes, and you know that includes probably me and and, and maybe you too. I don't know, uh, but it, it, I fall back on on the principle of of an old friend of mine who passed away, uh, uh, Ray Carter, who used to uh, work at the Second Amendment Foundation. And we were talking one day, and he and he said, you know, if it makes me giggle, it's probably a bad idea. And you, you've, you've got you've to use that perspective sometimes uh, to maybe find a solution, to be skeptical, and to be willing to say, hey, you know, just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. Uh, yeah. And just because I might believe it doesn't mean I really ought to believe it. So I guess that's where we're at. Okay, well, I'll, and I'll go along with that. I think that is where we're at. Um, I think that um, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I should uh, let folks know that I am not an anti-gun advocate at all. Um, I mean, I'm like I said, I have, you know, I, I'm very against having bad people have uh, have guns and weapons. So am I. Um, but uh, I can't think of too many people who would say, "Yeah, yeah, let's you know, let's make sure Hitler's well armed." Um, I, I think <laughs> that <laughs> you know, I, I I think that for me, I, I every now and then will go to the gun range and target shoot. I like that, and I'm pretty good at it. Um, we grew up on a farm, and so we always had the 22 rifle. Never had handguns, but we had the 22 rifle and a shotgun, and we used them um, not to kill living things. I mean. I think there were a couple of occasions where some an animal had to be put down, and my dad would do that. But we would put bales of hay, uh, you know, uh, against the barn wall, and and we would target shoot, and it and it's fun. It is fun. It is no less fun than playing your video games. Um, and I and I can you know what? As long as I'm saying this, I'm going to tell you my deep held private secret. This is the you're the first person I've said this to. But do you know how they have the wild pigs down in Texas that are doing so much damage? Yeah. They have helicopter shoots of the wild pigs. I have never hunted a living thing. Never really appealed to me. But by gummy, I would love to do one of those helicopter hunts of the wild pigs. And then they dress them out for you. You can take it home and put them in your freezer. Doesn't that sound like fun? Well, it sounds a little exotic for me and probably more expensive than I can afford. But uh, <laughs> I've seen the videos of them. You know, there are actual videos floating around of these of these helicopter shoots. And, and, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, my God, they can't do that. But if if you look at what these wild pigs and picaris and javelinas and, you know, whatever else they call them, uh, the damage that they are doing to croplands, they got to get rid of them. Well, and to people too, they harm people. So anyway, so that's one of my that's my little deep secret. I, yeah, you can say it's Heather Dot Stark at Three Women Two Ways. Um, the the uh, you know, I mean, I like I said, I've never shot a living human or a living thing, um, but I think I could do that. I think I could shoot one of those pigs. Um, so that's <laughs> my, my little secret dream. Well, I expect to be invited to the barbecue. 
Okay, okay. If I ever actually get down there and do it, you're you're going to be the first one I invite. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, David Workman. I really appreciated having this conversation about guns and the Second Amendment and the Second Amendment Foundation. If people want more information, either from you or from the Second Amendment Foundation, who can they go to? Well, uh, it's easy to find SAF. It's saf.org. Uh, and you can also uh, plug into the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms at ccrkba.org. And you can find my screed every day at Liberty Park Press, the conservative firing line. Uh, I do a weekly online column for American Handgunner called Insider Online. Uh, you'll find my byline occasionally in concealed carry handguns. I write a monthly column for Guns Magazine on firearms rights, uh, and I'm the senior editor of uh, thegunmag.com, which used to be Gun Week. And uh, if you can figure out when I find time to sleep or relax, send me an email so that I know. Well, I sent you an email at 2.08 in the morning on Sunday, and you didn't even see it, so you must have been sleeping then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciated the conversation. You'll have to come back sometime. Keep us informed about what's happening with Initiative 1639 in Washington State. I would like to know. Thank you. Okay. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. Join us next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.